0: Well, welcome everyone tonight to our first uh, four sessions on um, Can We Trust the Bible? And we will also be delving into the historical evidence that backs up Jesus. I want to start off our series tonight by saying that, you know, we've watched a lot of news stories. I know just in the last 20 years alone, we've watched news stories uh, by people. I don't know if anybody's ever heard of people like the Jesus Seminar. Like uh, they were some people that ABC like highlighted some years ago, and the Jesus Seminar, what they did was they went through uh, the Gospels and they kind of they their goal was to really find out what Jesus actually said. Pastor Jim, you remember the Jesus Seminar, right? People, yeah. So basically, they ended up printing their own Bible. Now, same words and everything, but the difference was, you know, the red letters that some Bibles have. Well, they color coded. The, the words of Jesus. Here's what, what the Jesus seminar people, they came to the conclusion. That like over 90% of the things we read in the gospel, Jesus never said. They, and, and ABC had them on and all this kind of stuff. Like the only thing that they were certain, one of like the few things they were certain on was, was Jesus when he said, well, he said, render unto Caesar what was Caesar. That was not the only line, but there was other lines. Why I bring them up is that by watching the regular news, CNN, whatever, they bring on scholars that are way in the minority. See, there is a lot of scholars, both scholars who are believers and scholars who are skeptics, and they're in the vast majority who agree upon the evidence that I'm going to go over with you that backs up the Bible and the historical evidence of Jesus. Now, the difference is the skeptics would say, well, yes, the evidence is right, but we just come to different conclusions. They would just say something like, Jesus didn't rise from the dead, there's another explanation. But... On, it's funny, on the news, they go to the... I don't have the actual number, but let's say they go to the 20% mi- minority scholars who absolutely say, like, no, there's no real hardcore evidence. It's all made up or whatever. Like, Bill Nye the science guy... I, I, I don't hate Bill Nye, by the way. I think that... He's, uh, when he doesn't talk about evolution in the Bible, he actually has a lot of great stuff. But he told Ken Ham um, a couple years ago the Bible was just... You know, people just made it all up. Well... Real scholars will tell you that even if they disagree on the the conclusions, they would still tell you that the people who authored the Bible really did believe what they wrote. And they would say to Bill Nye, well, maybe it might not be true, but they really did believe this. They didn't just make this up. This is what they really believe. So we're going to be discussing a lot of questions. Tonight we're going to be, be focusing on... Um, A few different arguments, one argument in particular is a lot of people say that the Bible you hold in your hands today we cannot trust because we cannot know if what is written today or what we have today is actually what was written. Um, Whenever though, here's the one thing I want to start off with, whenever we go to any defense, if you're talking about any portion of scripture or defending the Bible at all, Pastor Jim, this happens sometimes. I think I figured out, but uh, the clicker isn't clicking. Exit and go back in and just restart it, if you could. I really want to have control of this. I like having control. Yes, there we go. All right. So this might seem like obvious, but whether debating or researching, always use the Bible as your foundation. And you might say, "Well, no kidding." But here's why I start with this, because here's the deal. When you're arguing with a skeptic, and you might quote scripture to them, or you might mention that something that the Bible says, there's some that will say to you, well, I don't believe that's the word of God. I don't want to use that. I don't want to talk about that. And some people, some Christians might even say, well, fine, I won't quote from that or whatever. But I want to encourage you. We believe that the Bible is the word of God. They might not, but if you throw the Bible, the actual Bible, out of the conversation about the Bible, you're giving your opponent the upper hand already. Use it, quote it, and here's the thing too, right? If someone says to you, well, I don't want to hear verses from the Bible or anything like that, stop and say to them, okay, I understand you don't believe it's the word of God, but at the bare minimum, this is what the Bible actually is. And even skeptics will agree on this. The Bible is a collection of 66 documents or books that are ancient historical resources. And once again, majority of scholars will say they might not believe what the Bible writes about Ursa per se, but these people really believe what they wrote. So it is still very factual. There are 66 ancient documents that have been proven to be, you know, that there's a lot of evidence that backs them up. So you can say that at the bare minimum, no, we are going to use the Bible, and, here, and, and here's why. So um, what I want to just show you real quick, and this is on page five, I just want to, to anyone who's here tonight or whoever listens to this CD, I want you to know that I didn't just make up this on the fly. This is just some of the resources I use. Um, and I brought a couple of those books tonight, just so you can see. These books are incredible. You've got to go out and buy this. The new, Josh McDowell, The New Evidence That Demands a Verdict. Um, this is an amazing book, The Case for the Resurrection of Christ by Gary Habermas, Michael Lacona, uh, very incredible books. And there's so many more. Why am I showing you this? Like, do you know that in this book alone, the evidence that demands a, a verdict? there is over forty pages of bibliography. What, if you don 't know what a bibliography is, that 's where an author will cite all of the references where he gathered to make his book. Josh mcDowell didn 't just come up all with, with this stuff on their own. There is thousands and thousands of articles, documents and, and, and hundreds of scholars, whether skeptics or uh, real believers, who agree upon the evidence that we would say backs up Scripture and backs up the historical accuracy of, of Jesus' resurrection. But like I said, they just come to different conclusions. We're only hearing on the news from the minority. So getting into that, I already put down the clicker. Stop me at any time if you have a question, because I could talk really fast. Yes, my parents, they're here tonight. Um, I, I, I preached on this a couple weeks ago, but I do want to just go over this one more time if you did miss my sermon on this. And anybody that's listening to the CD... We were just talking about this before, before, but the big thing that people say today, the Bible was written by man, so therefore it is not trustworthy. 24% of young adults do not trust the Bible for this very reason, based on a 2015 study in the book already gone by Ham, Ken, and Beamer. The reason why people attack the Bible is because it makes astounding claims about itself. It says that it is the Word of God. It says that it is truth. It says that it is the guidebook for our lives. So that is why they attack the scriptures at all. So the big thing is, countering this argument, we trust in the writings of man all the time. So if someone ever says it to you, well, I can't trust the Bible because it is written by man. Well, let's take William Shakespeare. He wrote 37 plays. Anybody Shakespeare fans tonight? No Shakespeare fans? No? (laughs) No? Hamlet, Romeo and Juliet. Pastor Jim, come on. Nope. Nothing? Oh, man, some great plays. Taming of the Shrew, nothing? Okay. Um, they were published... Oh, I'm sorry, you can't, you can't see the... Uh, no, oh, can't see the tights, yeah. <laughs> you know that the, the men even used to play the women actors, too, back in the day. It's kind of crazy. Anyway, getting off topic. But um, the, the, those plays are published, and even back then they were published under his name. But how do we really know he wrote it? Now... I do believe William Shakespeare wrote his plays. But how do we really know this? We talked about this. How do we know that George Washington is the president, of the, first president of the United States? Columbus, 1492. Julius Caesar, killed by the Senate in the eyes of March. Uh, yes, killed by the Senate in the eyes of March. Let's get, go on and on. There, yeah, we, have, we don't have video, record, video recorders back then or audio recorders, no pictures. In some cases, we had paintings, but they were made, of, you know, painted by someone. Also, we have historical writings, monuments, maybe graves or tablets like we, George Washington. His his grave is actually right there. You can go see it. But the thing is, is that 100%, you don't know that people didn't doctor that stuff. You don't know. Now, obviously, I trust our textbooks, but we trust in those writings all the time. And here's the real kicker, too. People make their opinions based on social media posts without even investigating all the time. There was one time my wife and I, there was an article a couple years ago that me and me and my wife read about, it was something about Carson Wentz and his Christian faith, and we're like, oh, this is cool. So someone shared it, so we clicked on it. We read through the article. It was about Carson Wentz, but it never mentioned his faith in Jesus. Didn't even talk about it. And we were like, how could this person entitle this article something about his faith in Jesus when they don't even talk about it in the article? And and people have sent me things sometimes. They'll send me either a video that's entitled something, and I'll re-watch and I'll, be, I'll type them back. I'm like, did you even watch the video? It's not even a, really what the video is saying it's about. So my, po- my point is, is that we trust in the writings of, all, of man all the time. So when people say, I don't trust the Bible because it was written by man, they're really being hypocritical. They don't want to trust it because at the end of the day, in Romans 1, and I'm going to use the Bible right here, Romans 1 clearly says that we all know that there's something more out there. All of us know that there's something more out there. But we suppress it. We don't want to be accountable to a creator. We don't want to be told that there's a right and wrong. Mankind agrees like the big stuff, like genocide or murder or rape. When we get down to the little things, like other debatable stuff, everything is subjective. We don't want someone to tell us that there's a right and wrong. So we attack scripture based on that. Now, the Bible, oh yeah, trust personal opinions on social media. But yes, was the Bible written by man? Of course it was. 40 different men over a period of 1,500 years. Now, the book, some scholars say that the book of Job could have been written as early as 2000, but there's a lot of debate on that. But in generally what we know, the book of Moses was written around 1,400 to 1,450 B.C. That's the first five books of the Bible. And the last books, were, which were Revelation John and the Letters of John, Written around 90 AD. So, a period of about 1500 years. But the thing is, is that it holds together. It holds together despite being written by so many different people over that time. And remember, people didn't have access to the internet back then. Yes, there were copies of the scriptures, but we're talking about people, some of them were kings, some of them were peasants, some of them were fishermen, all different walks of life. Even in the, and I'm going to use the Bible again in the book of Acts, the religious leaders were astounded by the apostles because they weren't learned men, and yet they spoke with elegance. They spoke, and, and the things that they knew, and they're like, how do these men know this stuff? These aren't learned men. But anyway, the point is, is they, they, these people could not have gotten together to collaborate this kind of stuff, yet we do see the Bible right like reading as one book. in Pastor So Jim, you love this example, I just got to use it, Star Wars. Now, if you haven't watched the movies, that's okay, because I'll just tell you right now why I'm using this example. The first six movies were generally written by George George Lucas, Um, the the original trilogy in the 70s and 80s, and the new trilogy in the 90s and and, uh, 2000s. When you watch episodes one through six, major plot holes, major contradictions all that kind of stuff. And this was written by one guy over a period of 30 years. And I'm not saying that that always happens, but it's funny. But that, that something, there's why, how could one guy who wrote the thing not get it right? And that was written by one dude over a period of 30 years. But you have six, 40 different authors, 1500 years, and it reads as one book. So that doesn't, listen, does that 100% prove it's the Word of God? No, but it definitely has to be a check mark in that direction. People, I remember someone saying to me one time, well, that doesn't prove it's not the word of God. Maybe, maybe not 100%, but you've got to admit that's pretty fascinating, especially for the ancient world. Um, now, the big thing that people really want to know, because this is always debated, some people will literally tell you that the Bible was formed, um, whoa, the Bible was formed like all at once, people made it up, blah, 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 that just isn't even uh, near to being true. So how was the Bible formed? The thing that, when, when you talk to people about the formation of Scripture, and like I said, any question stop me at any time. Um, can't You use the word canon of Scripture. Has anybody ever heard of the word canon before? Ever heard that word? So basically, canon means standard, or measuring rod. Basically, Israel and the church... Would, said that they recognized, they did not create, they recognized a common standard in certain books that they discovered to be the Word of God. The church of that time in ancient Israel never, ever said, we invented Scripture, that we just laid out a bunch of books and just said, hmm, I like this one. Oh, I like the name of this guy right here. He's cool. Oh, the stories in this one are great. No, there was definitely uh, something much more powerful that was going on over time. So I want to break it down tonight. Let's deal with the Old Testament first, and we'll deal with the New Testament. So, the Old Testament. So, historical writings dating back to 100 to 250 B.C., show that the Old Testament, as we know, the 39 books of the Old Testament, was widely accepted around ancient Israel during that time period. These writings indicate that um, Israel believed that God had stopped speaking to them around 400 B.C., which is when the last books, Malachi, Nehemiah and all them, were written. So, and here's the funny thing, okay, like, you see I have an example up here on the board, 1st Maccabees and, I hope I, I am pronouncing it right, but Ecclesiasticus and Second Baruch, which I don't have up there. Those are three books which are considered apocryph- apocrypha books. Those are other writings which people argue, why aren't they scripture? We're going to talk about that a little later. But why I bring those books up? Because these books mention that God had ceased speaking through the prophets, referring to the written, written God. People are like, why isn't First Maccabees part of, part of the old, part of, um, the scriptures too. Well, first Maccabees is actually telling you it isn't. That's the funny thing. Sorry, I'm getting passionate. This is what happens with me when I start talking about this kind of stuff. But these are it's kind of funny because the apocrypha are some of the writings from this time period that are referring to that back up the back up the, the scriptures of the Old Testament, which is funny. People are like, "Why aren't they scripture?" Well, some of them actually attest to it that they're not. Okay. Take a deep breath. Very good. Um, just to kind of go over a little bit, um, w- 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 um, the Old Testament that we have today, real quick, it wasn't um, in the same order that we have it. They had the three divisions, which was the Law of Moses, first five books. They had the prophets, which included the historical books. And they had the writings, which was the wisdom literature, like the Psalms. And they were kind of in a different order. That, that, that Like I said, that, that's not too critical. But here's what it is. O- over time, this is the criteria of Israel and, and Israeli's leaders over time, that they said, listen, this, this is scripture. This is the word of God. Then The first thing, it had to be written by a proven, not just any prophet, a proven prophet, Daniel, Isaiah, etc. They would see the, let's use Jeremiah, for example. They had the, the, the book of Jeremiah, and they saw Jeremiah widely proclaim, Israel will fall to the Babylonians. Well, guess what? It fell exactly how he said it would fall. Immediately, Jeremiah was written, was recognized as Scripture. And in case you don't know this, the book of Daniel, which is written around 530 B.C., he refers to Jeremiah as Scripture. He refers to Jeremiah as Scripture. And, and, and Jeremiah was written within 50 to 70 years of that book. So within that time, Jeremiah was already considered by Israel as Scripture because Jeremiah's prophecies came true. People will tell you that, well, Jeremiah was written 100 A.D. No. True scholars do not believe that. Like And like I said, even skeptical scholars, they do not believe that. So it had to be written by a proven prophet. Their prophecies weren't fluff but life-changing. That was the other thing. Like, false prophets would just give fluff. Man, God's just going to bless you and bless you and bless you some more, and the blessings are never going to end. Now, of course, the real prophets did give stuff like that, but they also gave the warnings of God. If you don't obey the Lord, these are the consequences. So there was real life-changing power, and they saw how it impacted the impact of Israel. As time went on, the leaders of Israel saw that this just didn't impact a city, but like the book of Jeremiah and Daniel, it impacted the nation of Israel, like everyone was using it. So that, and like I said, it wasn't like the leaders one day and said, Daniel is now scripture. No, They were receiving these prophecies and keeping them and they were using them and and the Lord was speaking to them through them and they were like, wow, this isn't just some document, this is the word of God. Those were the criteria that Israel and their leaders would use. So how how did it all come together? Well, there wasn't really a specific council that decided it but israel recognized them as as they came along does that make sense as as prophecies and historical books came along and they saw these criterias being met they recognized them the first five books and like i said the documentation from 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 first second century bc says that the first five books were accepted very early in israel's history we believed it was from moses himself from god um and i mentioned the book of jeremiah so basically, they it just over time they came together, and and really by by 250 BC, when they began translating into Greek, it was wasn't even a debate. It was like, no, these thirty nine books are the Word of God. Any questions so far? I know I can talk a lot real quick. Okay, I'm just gonna take a sip of water. What? That was a gulp. It was a gulp. Yes. All right. Absolutely. Oh, the other thing I forgot to mention is also when you look at the New Testament, the New Testament writers and Jesus quote the 39 books of uh, the Old Testament. They refer to those books as scripture. They don't refer to the Apocrypha, which brings up the big question. This is where you get a lot of arguments. The Apocrypha, which Apocrypha means hidden or concealed. It was first used by um, Jerome in the fourth century. But People will all the time say, "Well, there was all these other books I mentioned you, First and Second Second Maccabees." Um, And by the way, those two books in particular, scholars say that those books are nice historical pieces. But just Israel and Israel would have agreed with that. But they just said, "But there just wasn't scripture." So why weren't they considered scripture? Well, number one, as these other books came about, they had for some of them they had clear historical and geographical errors, errors things that they could check. They could say, "Well, this just this didn't happen." and this isn't even the pla- This no, this, this is incorrect. Not, like I said, that's not all the books, but some of them did. Um, some of them just had doctrine that contradicted known scripture. As Israel, was, as Israel had from the law of Moses early on, and from oral tradition, which we're going to talk about that in a little bit, they just had weird other doctrines that clearly contradicted uh, scripture. I, 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 I would have to look into this. I hate saying these things without looking into it, but I've actually heard that the Catholic... Um, Doctrine of purgatory actually comes from the Old Testament Apocrypha books. I, I've heard that, and I and like I said, I'm not going to say that that's definite. I should actually look into that, but I've heard that kind of stuff. But when you look at the rest of Scripture, purgatory it's it's just not it's just not accurate. Um, the other thing, when they looked at the impact across the nation, it was minimal. Maybe a, a synagogue here used it, or maybe, a, but it wasn't a radical across the nation. Uh, number four, I kind of mentioned this already, but they had radical stories that just couldn't be verified. Fluff. And once again, I mentioned that the New Testament and other ancient Jewish sources around 100, to 100 B.C. to 180, A.D., the writers don't quote for them. Has anybody ever heard of Josephus? He was, a, he was a very famous ancient Jewish historian from the first century. He talks about the Old Testament a lot. And he never, ever, ever refers to the Apocrypha or anything else as Scripture. Other ancient writers attest that the Old Testament as we know it is Scripture. Now, there's one little exception to this quotation, and I'll let you know that. Do I put it up there? No. So there's one little exception. In the book of Jude, Jude quotes from 1 Enoch. And I actually have the, the quote right here. Let's read it to you real quick. Um, so people, kind of, so argument, people who, who argue this will, will, will quote this. First, uh, first uh, Jude says, Enoch the seventh from Adam prophesied about these men. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all the ungodly of all the ungodly acts they have done. So, people, so some people say, aha, there we go, we've got it. Jude quotes from Enoch, so it's got to be scripture. Okay, well, there's a few things to consider. The book of Enoch, or that quote, actually, when you go into the ancient writings, Jewish writings, in the oral tradition, it is believed that uh, Enoch, if you don't know who that is, from Genesis chapter th- 4 or 5, he, uh, is, he was a righteous man who walked with God, and it's actually said he didn't die. He lived about 300 years, and the Bible just says then he was no more, because God took him. But not like he died, it was like, no, he just took him to heaven right away. A lot of people believe Enoch and Elijah, who also didn't die, will come back in the end times. But um, people believe Enoch actually might have said this, and this writer, whoever did, put that in there. But here's the thing. The, The quote from that passage isn't inaccurate. God really is going to come and judge the world and the ungodly. And here's the other thing. The scriptures twice quote from other sources, that are not scripture. Paul does it twice in the book of Titus. Paul quotes from a Cretan prophet, not, I'm sorry, not a Cretan prophet, a Cretan poet talking about his own people. And on Mars Hill in Acts chapter 17, um, Paul quotes from a Greek poet about uh, about God that, that talks about God. But nowhere does Paul say that these poets are, you know, are, are prophets or scripture or anything like that. And the other thing to consider is not everything in the apocrypha books is inaccurate. So, okay, Jude quotes this thing of Enoch, but, the, but really, there's, not, there's no evidence to support anywhere from ancient Israel that they believed Enoch was, was scripture. So. so getting to, is the Old Testament reliable? Can we know what is written today, uh, what we have today is written back then? So we have over 1,000 Hebrew and Aramaic manuscripts and fragments that are divided into two classes. And why I'm focusing on those languages, that's what the Old Testament was originally written in, Hebrew and Aramaic. Um, The first class, we have a bunch of, uh, and this is the majority, like 800 uh, books, fragments. that are dated 895 A.D. to 1005 A.D. So they are much further removed from when the originals are written. And a long time, people attacked the Old Testament saying, because the last books of the Old Testament were written around 400 and the first books were written like 1450, so it's like you're talking like a really long distance of so people were like, we don't know if we can rely upon it until 1947. God and his providence. God is awesome. In 1947, a shepherd around the Dead Sea was looking for his sheep and was throwing rocks into a cave and heard shattering of pottery. He's like, what in the world? Goes into this cave, dozens upon dozens of huge jars filled with ancient literature including oh you guessed it either a, there is either a, a fragment or a full book of every old testament book except the book of Esther 223 fragments or full copies of books from every Old Testament book except Esther. These fragments are dated between the 2nd and 3rd century B.C., much closer to the writing of the Old Testament, a thousand-year-plus difference. Now, this is the cool one, and we saw this in the Museum of the Bible, which I really recommend you get to. The Dead Sea Isaiah Scroll. scroll. Isaiah, if you don't know, is like the second-largest book in the Bible, the Psalm being the first. They found a full copy of it, so this is, and they dated it, it's dated around 100 to 200 B.C., so the, the, the copy of Isaiah they had was from 980, so easily a thousand-year difference. Very, very big. So they laid the copies side by side, went over everything. The result? 95% co- compatibility. Now, someone might say, like, well, wait a minute, there's 5% difference. Well, yeah, there is. The 5% difference is spelling errors, slips of the pen. The only addition or subtraction? only one was the word light was added in one sentence but it did not mean it did not change the meaning of the sentence or the paragraph not a bit thousand year difference that was the only difference, uh, only difference with the book of isaiah huge book cuz here's the p- thing that people don't don't understand is that scribes back in the day they they had whole schools on how to copy because there wasn't a printing press you know, and 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 they held these books, the scriptures, with, with such high reverence that listen. Do you know, no joke, that say, and it took hours to copy these things. That even if a, a scribe was ninety percent done, let's just take say Isaiah, and he realized in looking over his work, even if it was over the last page, he goes, "Oh no, he like he really messed up." they wouldn't just throw it in the garbage. They would rip it apart, light light a nice bonfire, and throw it in there. So no one can say, like, well, maybe some of the error copies got out. No. These scribes were so strict, they didn't play games. If they messed up with the Word of God, it was ripped apart, and it it heated their home. (laughs) It heated their home. So like, they and and scribes were held in such high honor because they got the privilege of all this access to the Word of God, Old and New Testament. So, Absolutely. Can we rely upon that it was copied correctly? Absolutely. with And like I said, once again, vast majority of the scholars will tell you, no, it was copied correctly. So can we trust in the reliability of the Old Testament? We absolutely can. And as we're going to see in this next section with the, with the New Testament, it passes what's called the bibliography, t- bibliographical test, historical test. I, I, try saying that 10 times fast. But so the H- Old Testament is... 100% reliable. Before I go to the New Testament, bless you, before I go to the New Testament, like I said, I know this is not the most exciting thing in the world to, to hear, but like, does anybody have any questions? Nothing. Okay, cool. We're going to move on. It is exciting. I just mean I know it's kind of like learning in class and everything. Um, formation of the the New Testament. So, what, as, as letters, as Gospels came about, what were the major tests that, that the church would... That's just my computer. You can ignore that. Mm. What were the major tests of divine inspiration? Well, number one, it had to be written by an apostle or well-known close associate of apostle like Luke and Mark. And why is that? Because they learned directly from Jesus. The, I think, if my, if my history is correct, I think the only author of the New Testament that had no... Known history or to have seen Jesus that they believe is Luke. Mark, they even believe Saul, uh, they, they do believe Mark was around. And uh, James is a brother of Jesus. Judas is a brother of Jesus. Paul saw Jesus. But Luke is the only one, and, he, he, and his, his history is very good. But Right, so they had to, had to be um, a close associate or an apostle. Because he, here's the deal. When you read the writings of the apostles, when you read the Gospels, when you read the letters of Paul, the right, They never claim authority for themselves. Do you want to know the difference between someone, between a false religion, a cult, and someone who's being genuine? Or like really trying to do... They will never claim authority for themselves. And these people pointed only to one, and one source only, and that was Jesus. Cult leaders like Jim Jones, you guys probably know, remember Jim Jones, they, they literally followed him to death. He told them, drink cyanide. Sure. Or, or not cyanide, whatever it was, the Kool-Aid, that's the whole joke. But literally, can you imagine that? No, nope, got to do this, man. This is this is the Lord. Yeah, you first, buddy. Um, but yeah, so they would never, like, and even I'm going to be blunt, even when you look at the history of, of the Quran, Muhammad, he's the only one who claimed, like, the angel Gabriel appeared to him. He's the only one who, collab- who could collaborate his story, and he did proclaim himself to be someone great. He's like, I am the—I'm gr- not God, but I'm the great prophet. And really, in, in, in Islam, who do they uh, who do they practically worship? They worship Muhammad. Not—you know—they would say they wouldn't, but he, you don't say anything bad about him anyway. You see the point I'm making. But the apostles never claim authority for themselves. Um, the next thing is uh, church acceptance. As, a, as letters and writings would come out, um, they, it wasn't a majority vote or a poll that Christians took. Christians saw what letters, gospels, and history books were being widely used among the churches. And, and it wasn't like one or two churches. It was throughout the empire. Justin Martyr, who was a church father, he, he lived from 100 to 165. D. He wrote in his, in his writings that On Sunday, the Christians would meet and read from the writings of the prophets and the memoirs of the apostles. So early on, they were using the writings of the apostles as authority, as scripture. This wasn't something that was just developed later. Prophetic. They saw that these letters and books had great impact on not just one or two people, but the, like the churches throughout the empire, they were life changing power in the same way that Israel was looking at um, the, was looking for looking at the books as well. It's remarkable if you really think about it, though. Think about this for a second. Once again, two thousand years ago, they didn't have the internet. It took forever, if you wrote a letter, it took forever for a letter to get somewhere. They didn't have a UPS or whatever back then. It's remarkable that as churches first received the Gospels and letters, that they were all being impacted the same way. Think about that for a second. That, you know, a church would get a letter, a copy, or whatever, and they would read it, and it would just speak to them. And, And then another church from Egypt would get it, and then another church from Rome, and it would, think about that for a second. That's not a coincidence. You know what I mean? You might you, maybe you can see if it was only one section of the empire, but all these twenty-seven books, they were they were distributed and all had the life-changing impact on people. That's not a coincidence. The fourth thing, and this is the fourth and final story, the letters and gospels matched the mission of God from the oral tradition that they had received. Listen, when churches were founded, the message of Jesus was preached hard. They understood what the gospel was. They understood who Jesus was. And this is, this is where people can kind of attack you. It was like, oh, oral tradition. You ever, do you ever play that game? I'm sure we, we all did. I know I have played it. You ever play that game where people like, there's a line of people or a circle of people. And the, and the first person will say whatever to the person to the left. And then it has to be whispered all the way around. And then usually in the game, the last person who, who says it's nothing, what the, it's nothing like what the original person said. That's what people try to use that argument and say, well, that's probably what happened with the oral tradition. Once again, they don't understand history. Scholars will also back this up. Oral tradition was more valuable and precise than it was today. Elders in towns, in, in families, in communities, would literally train the young ones as they were growing up how to pass down history because it was all they had. Most people did not write most people did not read. Even when the, Old, the New Testament was being written, Old Testament, there was plenty of people in the churches didn't read. They were trusting the pastors, you know, the people reading it to them. So people were trained on how to pass down the oral tradition. So um, it, it's actually been said, if you notice, if you were to like, uh, look at the sermons in Acts, for example, if you just read them out, they're really only about five-minute, ten-minute messages at tops. And, and what, what the people are trying to say is that that's how oral tradition worked. They tried to simplify things so, you know, it, would, it wouldn't be long, so they, it'd be simple so people could remember. There's, in a later lesson, we're going to get into the creed that, that Paul has taught early on from Christians, which show um, that, that believers early on said that Jesus rose from the dead. But, so how can, but here's the question, though. People will say, well, how can we know what the original followers believed? People believe that the deity of Christ was taught centuries later. The resurrection is a myth. Some people, and I've gotten into arguments with people with this, some people literally believe strongly that Jesus didn't even exist. I'm not kidding. I have literally gotten into I've heard this from numerous sources in my 21 years as a Christian, that Jesus didn't even exist. He's a myth. Well, how do we counter that argument? Well, first of all, where am I at here? first of all, who mentions Jesus? Do you know? If you didn't, you know now. There are 42 ancient documents, and when I say ancient documents, I say first. Can we say first? Come on. Can we say first? I don't want to get all preacher-like on you tonight, but but first. But when I say ancient documents, I'm talking about 1st century AD and early 2nd century AD. 42 ancient documents that mentions this man, Jesus of Nazareth. Now, what are those documents? Twenty-seven of them are the documents of the New Testament. Now, right, a skeptic's going to stop you right there and go, "Wow, wow, wow! That doesn't count. It's the Bible." And then you go, "You don't get cocky." But I'm just going to joke around for a night. You go, "Whoa, whoa, whoa!" Wait, I'm back at you. Though you might not believe it's the Word of God, but those twenty-seven books of the New Testament are literally twenty-seven ancient documents. And even here's the funny thing: uh, most scholars agree that they were written between fifty and one hundred A.D. Even other scholars that try to push it back a little bit push the earliest books in the 70s AD. And even if that was true, which which most scholars say it isn't, that's still within like 50 years of Jesus. So it's not, it does, that doesn't even really help their case much. But no, these are 27 ancient documents from the first century. There's nine first century historians. They were Greek, Roman, Jewish who were anti-Christian. That's important who mentioned Jesus. There are six letters from early church fathers. These are people who were like contemporaries of the apostles. They lived late first, early second century. Just for the record, 42 documents for that, for any ancient figure is astounding, in case you didn't know that. It's astounding. That's a lot of documentation. Did this man Jesus exist? A true historian? If you walked up to a real historian skeptic or not, and you said, Jesus didn't exist, if they have a sense of humor, they're going to burst out laughing at you because they're going to say, there is it, is it is a fact he existed because the, the historical evidence backs up. Sorry. I'm not trying to be, you know, it's just, it, it, it's, it's, people say this stuff, and I'm not, and, you know, if anybody ever listens to this CD, I'm not trying to make fun of you or, or, or bash you or anything like that. But the truth is, in our society, we hear things and we don't research. We hear it from someone and we just, oh, well, then it's got to be true. Once That goes back to that whole, we don't believe the Bible because it's penned by man, but we'll hear someone say, well, Jesus didn't even exist and we'll just run with that. If you really researched that one topic, you would see no. That's far from the truth. The man definitely existed. So um, what I want to show you, and I didn't write this on your page, but this is the first and early century, second century critics. These are men who did not believe Jesus was the Messiah. They attacked the church, but these are the writings who mention Jesus. Uh, I can, you know, for time's sake, I want to keep moving on, but I wanted to show you their names. Uh, Josephus, he's, a, he's the Jewish historian I mentioned. Thallus, Pliny the Younger, Lucian, uh, Cornelius Tacicus. Um, all men who mentioned Jesus. I can give this to you if you want this material. So, Here is what we learn from their writings. Okay. Here is what we learn from men who were not Christians and they are just historians. We learn from them. Jesus claimed to be the Messiah and God. We learn from them that his followers worshipped him as God. We learn from them that Jesus was put to death by Pontius Pilate. We learn from them that darkness occurred at the time of Jesus' death. No joke. We learn from them that the followers of Jesus were persecuted and killed for their faith. We learn from these critics that Jesus was sentenced to death on the eve of Passover. And we learn from them that Jesus was accused of sorcery and apostasy. Think about that. That's a lot of information that we've learned. If you never picked up a Bible and read about Jesus, if you read this stuff, you're learning a lot about this man, Jesus. That's a lot of information. Now, when you, when you look at the information I've posted on here, do you see that it matches something? If you, think, if you think, what does it match? The New Testament. These critics of Jesus match what his followers wrote about him in the New Testament. That is very critical uh, based on ancient, uh, for ancient uh, evidence. So, when we talk about the New Testament, now, when was it actually f- fully recognized? In 367 A.D., um, Oh, man, I can never pronounce this name properly. Athena Sias of Alexandria, Augustine, and Jerome all acknowledged in letters to churches the 27 books of the New Testament. They, they, they were saying, this was really kind of the more official thing. They were saying, these are scripture. And then in the Synod of Hippo in 393, and just for the record, it had nothing to do with hippos, um, that was the council that officially said to the churches... No, this is the Bible. This is the New Testament. But that council, it wasn't at that point alone that they recognized. This was something over 300 years that the church has already recognized. This council just kind of, if you will, recognized what the church has already knew. And in case you want to go back any further, well, we're going to. Um, <laughs> in uh, 100 AD, here's just some earlier sources. The church father... Irene Nias, hope I pronounced that right, in 100 A.D., he was a church father. He was a disciple of Polycarp. Polycarp was a disciple of John uh, the Apostle. He wrote um, a book called Against Heresies. In that book in 100 A.D., 180 A.D., he wrote that the four Gospels were already recognized as Scripture by the churches, including all of Paul's letter, including Acts, 1 Peter, 1 John, and Revelation, That these books. That's only 22, but that's, that's a lot. He was saying that as far as he knew, these books were being recognized. That's 150 years right after Christ. And that's, that's within 100 years, 100, 120 years within the writing of the New Testament. Um, a quote from the church father, Ignatius. I think I got that right. In his personal, he lived 50 to 115 AD. His personal letter to the Romans says, and this is the quote, I do not wish to command you as Peter and Paul. That's supposed to be they. They were apostles. This man, writing in late first century, his letter, he's like, just so you know, my letter to you guys, don't take it as like the authoritative stuff. He was recognizing Paul and Peter's letters as authoritative. Interesting. This guy could have claimed it, you know, but he doesn't. He was actually saying, no, Paul and Peter, they're the guys you really want to listen to. Christians weren't all trying to come up with letters that could be passed as scripture. Um, Here's where we get into the Apocrypha for the New Testament. Why were these books not included? Examples of the Apocrypha Gospel of Thomas, you've probably heard of, Gospel of Judas, the Apocalypse of Peter, and there's so many others. So, first of all, very few churches use them. Once again, the same thing as, as the Old Testament. Maybe a church here and there, and that's because it had, a, had Peter's name on it. They were like, oh, okay, maybe this was written by Peter. Once they investigated, they realized, wait, this is bogus. Second thing, no documentation on them being used earlier than the fourth century. So we had documentation for the first few hundred years of Christianity. There's no documentation on these, um, books because they, they weren't written yet. They were written later on and they slapped a, uh, they slapped the Peter's name on it. Third thing. They, they These books only quote part of other canon books, but they have bizarre writings. You have this on your page. Check this out. This is an actual quote from the Gospel of Thomas. I want to read this to you. This is some of the stuff written in the Gospel of Thomas. Okay. It says, "'Jesus said, "'This heaven will pass away. "'The one above it will pass away. "'The dead are not alive, "'and the living will not die. "'In the days when you consumed what is dead, "'you made it what is alive.'" When you come to dwell in the light, what will you do? On the day when you, on the day when you were one, you became two. But when you become two, what will you do? Now, I almost want to think that this is from like a nursery rhyme or Dr. Seuss or something like that. But this is from one of the legitimate apocrypha books that people are arguing. Well, why wasn't this scripture? What on earth does that mean? Okay, the heaven will, you know, like Jesus might, but what does that mean? Sorry, I get so passionate if you're watching this, listen to this CD. It's just, I'm not trying to be mean or anything, but listen, the church and the historical evidence backs this up. They researched these books and they said, this is bogus. These people just slapped Peter's name on here, they slapped Thomas's name. There was evidence at the time that these were clearly not um, scripture. And other church fathers wrote against them. Some of the church fathers, just to, to give you names, Origen, Cyril of Jerusalem, uh, the one guy I mentioned before, Athene, Athena see us. they all spoke against these books that they were frauds. So there's a lot of early writing. So was the church just, just polling and just saying, we like, no, it wasn't that at all. So, uh, here we go. Okay. So we get into the big thing. Is what we have today what was originally written? Okay, we don't have the originals. But just for the record, when someone says, well, you don't have the originals, just say to them, yeah, that's true. You know we don't have the originals to like any ancient writing? Any? No, I'm serious, any. So just, for, it's weird. People will say that and be like, yeah, and, and we don't have the writings of Homer from the 800s. Anyway, but here are some I- examples of ancient writers that you've probably heard of Homer, Socrates, Aristotle, Confucius, that's supposed to be Plato, not plate. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> Their their write, those their writings are not criticized even near to the extent the New Testament is. Okay, so why do I bring them up? Here's four examples that I want you to see. Okay, Homer's Iliad. You might have read it in school. I did. It was believed to have been written around 800 BC. The earliest copies known is was 400 BC. 400 year difference, and there are 643. Copies, but that's not just from 400 BC. That that, the earliest copies are from 400 BC. 643 copies from throughout history. Um, Second, you have Plato. Probably heard of Plato. He wrote around 400 BC. The earliest known copies of his writings was 900 AD. A 1300 year difference. We only have seven copies of his work. Julius Caesar also was an author. He wrote the book Gallic Wars or Gaelic Wars. Um, He wrote between 44 B.C. and 100 B.C. The earliest known copies of his work, 900 A.D., about a thousand-year difference, and there's only ten copies known. Uh, An an ancient author by the name of Pliny Secundus, he wrote a book called Natural History between 61 and 113 A.D. The earliest known copies of his work were 850 A.D., a 750-year difference, seven copies are known. Why do I point this all stuff out? And I'll tell you one reason... People don't criticize their work. They would say to you, no, no, the writings of Plato, we trust them. Julius Caesar stuff, yeah, no, we're, we're confident. We're confident. The New Testament, though, we're not sure. So, how many copies of Greek New Testament do we have and how early are there? Greek, by the way, was the original language it was written. Well, the earliest known fragment of the New Testament in general is a small fragment of five verses from John chapter 18. It is dated between 110 and 130 A.D. That gospel is believed to have been written between 90 and 100 A.D. This fragment is within 20 to 40 years of its writing. That's just one piece. Okay, let's move on. This is, uh, the names of these are just names that they gave to the ancient papyruses that they found. The Bodmer Papyrus II, which is dated 150 to 200 A.D., contains a majority of John's gospel. It has copies of Jude and First and Second Peter written within 60 to 100 years of the writings of those letters. Um, we have complete copies of Luke and John's Gospel, dated 175 to 225 A.D. That's 110 to 160 years of, of, of the writing of those Gospels. I think you guys can see where we're going. Whoop. Ah. The Chester Beatty Papyri, dated 200 A.D. Look at this, all four Gospels and Acts, all of Paul's letters, the book of Revelations, within 150 years of their writings. And just this year, this is really cool, released in the summer, there was a fragment of the Gospel of John discovered in 2011, and it's dated 150 to 250 A.D. Very cool. John is belie- Mark is believed to have been the first Gospel written. It, they believe it was probably written in the 50s or 60s. So that's about a 100 to 200 year difference between the writing of it. So here's some facts for you. There's approximately 109 books or fragments dated between the 2nd and 4th centuries. And there's many more copies dated between the 4th and 15th century. There's about 5,547 of those. And just for the record, Latin copies, starting in the 4th century to 16th century, 11,000 copies. But that 109 books and fragments that we have from the first 300 years of Christianity, that's huge. Because you saw the copies I had of the other authors... Some of them were like seven, ten. Yeah, Homer's Iliad is a very unique thing. The six hundred forty-three copies—that's the besides the Old Testament—that's like number two. But one hundred nine early fragments of books between those three centuries—that is key. And you—and listen, there is more examples of ancient historical writings that we have that show you that the difference in years is is crazy. Here's something. Did I, did I put this up here? No, I didn't. But here's something I want to list to you. So uh, in 160 AD, they found um, a, what's called a gospel harmony by a Christian father, a church father named Tatian. And he was an Assyrian Christian. His book is called The Diet Harmony of the Four Gospels. This is kind of cool. The, he, this guy wrote what is, to, what is known to be the first person to take all four gospels and make them one book so they kind of, you know, the, some... People have done that, but like he was using the four gospels he wasn't using any other source, but he was showing that like he he revered these books as scripture, and that's pretty cool who sorry where was I? Cool okay so all in all, New Testament written between fifty and 100 a d earliest copies um, written, written about one fourteen Eight, just general years, 114, 280, 250 AD, 325 AD, and these are just, those are just a few. The time gap is about 14, 100, and 150 years, 225 years in those four examples between the original writings. And overall, over 5,000 ancient copies. Yeah. Does it pass the bibli- the bibliographical historical test? Um, Kind of. But we're not done. We, we are almost done for real, but the, I have to let you know this. Quotation from the church fathers. The church fathers were church leaders who lived between 70 and 200 A.D. Some of them were disciples of apostles like Polycarp I mentioned. Others included Justin Martyr. We have, rec- And listen, there are many, many copies of their writings that have been re- recorded and many quote from the New Testament. Check this out. There is 36,289 quotes from seven different writers. In case you're curious who those writers are, there they are. I may have put this on your page, I may not, but we can get this later. But this is a list of the writers who all quote the New Testament in all of their writings. It's a lot. In case you didn't know this. Now, some they said some of the quotes are loose, are kind of paraphrased, but they absolutely are still capturing the the essence and the meaning. Here's something you might not know. From the church fathers alone, we could reconstruct the New Testament. Do you know that? From these people's writings alone, we could reconstruct the New Testament with the exception of 11 verses. With the exception of 11 verses. Astounding. Absolutely astounding. And it get, because these writers wrote so early, they, in their writings, quote from the New Testament, not just for fun, but because they were quoting from the New Testament saying, this is Scripture. This is the word of God. And then we're going to quote to back up our points using it. Listen, they were probably writing sermons and they were quoting scripture just as we do as preachers today. Crazy. So, whoop, what did I write here? Importance oh, of the writing, I already said this. So, wrapping up. Is the Bible reliable? It passes the test. This is the te- the, the stuff I showed you is the test of ancient writings. Can we trust it? When we're talking about Plato, they trust Plato. The New Testament, oh yeah, crushes Plato, if you will, in reliability. There's more evidence than most ancient literature for the reliability of the Bible. Even if you, whether you agree or disagree with what the Bible says, you can absolutely be confident of this, that what we read today is what was written. That is the end of my first lesson. We're going to get into other stuff in the next three weeks about the archaeology backing up the Bible. Contradictions. Are they bogus? Yeah, they really are. The Bible doesn't contradict itself. The historical evidence for Jesus. So I hope that you guys will be able to come out